Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tonight on The Readout. In the case of Reverend Warnock's opponent, there is very little evidence that he has taken any interest, bothered to learn anything about, or displayed any kind of inclination towards public service, or volunteer work, or helping people in any way. You know who that was. That was former President Barack Obama laying into Herschel Walker just before the midterms. And tonight, Obama is back making closing arguments for Warnock in Georgia's Senate runoff. Plus, late today, another major legal setback for Donald Trump, this time involving those classified documents that he stole and stashed at highly secure Mar-a-Lago, where just anyone might end up sitting next to you at your dinner table, maybe even somebody who might be Nazi-ish. Also tonight, Trump, Kanye, and Elon, Republicans who lead the House Judiciary Committee, tweeted their support for all three, declaring this is who Republicans really are before quietly deleting it 56 days later. I wonder why. We begin the readout tonight with the final push in Georgia. As we speak, former President Barack Obama is in Atlanta, making a final pitch for Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock with just a few days of voting left to go until runoff election day. While the biggest star in the Democratic Party makes the case for Warnock, here is some of Republican Herschel Walker's closing argument. Guys, I'm 220 pounds of twisting steel and sex appeal. Wall to work, wall working around your house. When you got a wall around your house, people don't do they have a, they can get in, but you know what? They get in, it'll be hard to get out. Cause I got a dog that well, my dog really won't bite. I know men should be in women's sports. Y'all don't want Herschel Walker competing against y'all daughter, do you? Ah, yes, that's right. Closing hard on fear-mongering attacks on transgender athletes because, as Republican strategists told Axios, Walker's background as an athlete gives him credibility on the issue, as opposed to all the other issues that he has zero credibility to discuss, like abortion, which he opposes, except apparently when it comes to his former romantic partners, since two have alleged he paid for their abortions. Even wrote one to get well known. Now, uh, another former partner of Walker's has come forward to the Daily Beast with claims about domestic violence. Cheryl Parsa, who dated Walker for five years in the early 2000s, is the first woman to go on the record publicly with accusations. She provided the Daily Beast with photo evidence of her with Walker. According to her account in 2005, after she caught Walker with another woman, he grew enraged, put his hands on her chest and neck, and swung his fist at her. She said, I thought he was going to beat me, and she fled. She's one of five former Walker partners to come forward to tell horror stories about him to the Daily Beast about what they call a habit of lying and infidelity. NBC News, I should say, has not independently confirmed Parsons' account and reached out to Herschel Walker's campaign for a response. And while we're waiting, Herschel, I will be in Georgia on Monday. So if you want to discuss this and all the other allegations made against you and give your side of the story, the readout team and I would love for you to show up for that debate that you asked me for. And we're just going to keep calling you and calling your team. And hopefully, eventually, we will get a response. In the meantime, 
This new report is more evidence of why it just feels so shocking, not just to me, but to a lot of people, that Republicans like Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and Senators Lindsey Graham and others continue to put their own reputations and the dignity of the state of Georgia and of the United States Senate on the line to argue that Herschel Walker would be a better senator than the incumbent Raphael Warnock. I would really love to hear the affirmative case for why Herschel Walker should be a senator from him or from them. Now, there is one Georgia Republican who managed to take the most feckless stance possible. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan says he showed up to vote, stood in line for however long. I mean, lines are long in Georgia by design, and then just decided he couldn't vote for either Walker or Warnock. So he left without voting at all. Of course, Georgia Republicans are hoping other voters will just fall in line, like this voter NBC's Vaughn Hilliard spoke to this week. I voted for Herschel. I'm a Republican. I own my own business. That's how I voted that way. Did you vote for Herschel in the general election, too? Yes. He's going to have to make up some ground in order to pull off. Oh, he's going to lose in all probability. Mr. Warnock is a wonderful individual, and I fully expect that he will win. (laughs) Joining me now is Stuart Stevens, senior advisor for the Lincoln Project, and Don Calloway, Democratic strategist and founder of the National Voter Protection Action Fund. Uh, Thank you all for being here. I'm going to go to you, Stuart, first, because you have the disadvantage of not being hanging out here with us in the studio, and we hope that you can come up uh, and hang out with us in person soon. But I I, I genuinely do want to know what the affirmative case for Herschel Walker is, and I haven't heard anyone make it. I've heard a lot of the case against him. There's an ad that's running right now that just talks about the violence, you know, beating up his former partners, the abortions he paid for when he says he's against abortion. Everyone understands the negative case, um, why he shouldn't be one. Have you heard any Republicans make a case for why he should be a senator? Well, you know, the case was that the Republicans needed a majority and he was essential to that, Um, which, you know, what happened uh, on Election Day was that whole argument got shot to hell because um, Democrats went ahead and took the Senate. Um, the only reason you would vote for Herschel Walker uh, is out of some sort of loyalty to Republicans. And you know, look, you have a lieutenant governor who's Republican, and he can't even vote for him in Georgia. Um, it, it really goes to a larger issue in the Republican Party that haunted them in this last election. There is no agenda right now for the Republican Party. I mean, you have this kind of bathrooms and bedrooms agenda that really just is not motivating people. You're out there, you have DeSantis out there, you know, sort of kidnapping uh, legal people here here applying for asylum, think he's going to get it votes for it. There, there is no coherent governing conservative philosophy now that is drawing people to the Republican Party. And, you know, Don, look, I, I'm hearing anecdotally Black voters are turning out in just huge numbers. I mean, the numbers are just huge. And turnout in general has been really—and I I, and I, I can anticipate how a lot of black—most black voters are going to vote, because I think it's a matter of pride at this point. It's a matter of not wanting to see—be humiliated by Herschel Walker for six years. That's right. Well, I think the, the, the toss-up for me is that question that we just— you know, heard Stewart talk about is for, for Republican voters, for white voters, and the majority of, of voters of white voters in America are Republicans. Is is it a matter of state pride to have a decent man in that can actually do a whole sentence coherently, or do they not care? And so I, that's where I don't have clarity. I think that in today's modern governing party, the animating principle is white supremacy, right? And 
to the extent that you have to elect a Herschel Walker to achieve that. And to the extent that he says, we're not racist, we're voted for Herschel. That's a real talking point in these people's minds. That's the animating principle, and that's worth having an embarrassment like Herschel Walker if it gives you the macro control of the Senate, if it takes away an extraordinary potent weapon in Raphael Warnock, takes him out of the Democratic caucus as opposed to empowering him for a full six-year term, which is a great asset for Democrats. Bottom line up front, I just want to put this out there for your viewers. Raphael Warnock's going to win this race. Uh, the Warriors, the Nse Ufats, the, the Antoine Seawrights are reporting to you and me. Like, we're in community with the people who are doing that work and who yeah. have dirt under their nails. Raphael Warnock's going to win this race. And so that's just as a practical matter. Another interesting practical political element here is that Jeff Duncan made a political move. He knows the trends and he sees the numbers. He sees the early voting county by county, municipality by municipality. To know that Raphael Warnock's going to win, he's positioning himself in a post-Brian Kemp era to decide, hey, maybe I can be the guy who leads us out of this Trump sludge here in Georgia. But that's not by any means a courageous stance that he took. It is a political stance knowing that he can be the leader of the Georgia Republican Party after Brian Kemp. But Herschel Walker is going to lose. And we can talk philosophically in the coming weeks about why these deeply unserious people have anywhere near a heartbeat uh, chance of being in American leadership. Oh, I can get going. Let, let me play. This is, this is three for my fabulous director uh, in downtown Sterling Brown. This is what Herschel Walker said back in 2020 about reparations to Blaze TV, which is um, a, another one of these right wing online networks. Here he is. She said, uh, have anyone thought about paying the white people that died in the Civil War to free you from slavery? And I said, oh, geez, they're not going to want to talk about that one. No. So I said, when she thought of that, I said, you know, Mom, you're right. Everyone that's coming in talking about their reparation wasn't even around 150 years ago. You know, Stuart, it occurs to me that part of the appeal of Herschel Walker is that he presents a comfortable version of black men mm. um, mm-hmm. that is a controllable kind of throwback version that says, I, too, want to make sure that the mm. real victims, which is white Americans, are the ones who get the reparations, right? Like, that's what he literally yeah, said. So, I mean, he takes I, it that far. And I feel like my question has always been how many people are clinging to that version, you know, and how many people... Yeah. are willing to wake up from it. And Georgia always felt like a modern leaning state that says maybe we don't want that, but I just don't know. You know, I, well, this is really a fascinating question because is there really anybody in America that thinks that the Republican Party would have gone out and gotten Herschel Walker if the Democratic senator was not an African-American? And it really goes at sort of the hollowness of the appeal and the failure of the Republican Party ever since Goldwater to appeal to African-American voters in any large numbers. So they think the only reason they're voting for Warnock is because he's African-American. So if we get an African-American, well, then this is going to be the same. And they're going to vote for our guy, at least in you know large numbers, because all they care about is electing an African-American. Mm. And having been inside the Republican Party, I can say I've, I've been in those meetings. And there is a terrible misunderstanding about this yeah. that really haunts the Republican Party. And they've, they've never done the work that needs to be done to ask themselves, why is it that 90 plus percent of African-Americans don't vote for Republicans? Including most black men. I know they want to they say that's not true, but it is true. Let me play the kind of prototype for what Democrats look for in black candidates. Here's President Obama. He's live right now. 
the character, the track record of service that would justify him representing Georgia in the United States Senate. Now, if, if you had forgotten what I said the last time, it's okay because you just have to wait a minute. He reminds you every time he opens his mouth. I mean, every day. Every day he comes up with something. Every day. Since the last time I was here, <laughs> since the last time I was here, Mr. Walker has been talking about issues that are of great importance to the people of Georgia. Like whether it's better to be a vampire or a werewolf. This is a debate that I must confess I once had myself <laughs> when I was seven. <laughs> then I grew up. In case you're wondering, by the way, Mr. Walker decided he wanted to be a werewolf, which is great. As far as I'm concerned, he can be anything he wants to be. Except for a United States Senator. Since the last time I since the last time I was here, apparently he also claimed that he used to let me beat him at basketball. But then he admitted that we've never actually met. So I guess this was more of an imaginary whooping that I laid on him. Now, listen, this would be funny if he weren't running for Senate. We all know some folks in our lives who we don't wish them ill will. They say crazy stuff. We're all like, well, you know, Uncle Joe, you know what happened to him. You know, it's okay. It, it, they're part of the family. But you don't give them serious responsibilities. When you spend more time thinking about horror movie fantasies than you do thinking about the people you want to represent, that says something about your priorities. When again and again you serve up bald-faced lies, just make stuff up, that says something about the kind of person you are and the kind of leader you would be if you were in the United States Senate. So Georgia, look, I I'm not telling you something you don't know. You deserve a senator you can be proud of. Somebody who will talk straight to you. Somebody who will fight for you. Somebody who will garner respect in Washington. Somebody like Reverend Warnock who's been doing it responsibly and conscientiously and effectively. Not just in the Senate, not just in the last few years, but his entire adult life. So that's why you need to get out 
and vote. That's why you can't let up. Because change doesn't happen in one election. It doesn't even happen in two elections. It doesn't even happen in five elections. Change only happens if you keep organizing, keep voting, keep mobilizing, keep educating, keep speaking up, keep working hard to make change happen. Imagine looking back in history, right after the Emancipation Proclamation. Imagine if all the abolitionists and the civil rights activists had said, oh, Everything's going to be okay now. Let's go home. Imagine if after some women, not all women, but some women, got the right to vote. Organizers said, oh, all right, I got mine. We're all equal now. Our work is done here. Imagine where we would be. If we want real progress, if we want lasting progress, we can't be satisfied with one victory because victories are always incomplete. History doesn't just move in a straight line and moves sideways, sometimes it moves backwards. When we're not vigilant, when we're not working. So we can't allow ourselves to get tired. We need sustained effort. And by the way, not just on election day, but every day in between. That is President Barack I, Obama, I uh, don't throw anything at your TV because I'm coming back because we have to get to a commercial break in a second. But I do want to come back to you, Don Calloway. Uh, that is the, the black excellence that yeah. Democrats expect. Yeah. And that that's why black folks vote for Democrats. If Republicans want to answer the question, that's the answer. Right. I mean, Gary Chambers in Louisiana. Chris Jones is a literal rocket scientist yeah. that ran in Arkansas. Charles Booker in Kentucky. Mandela Barnes, who was the lieutenant governor. It's what the expectations that are met sure. among black folks, which is a Stacey Abrams. Yeah. You know, that's what people that's what that's why black folks vote for Democrats. You know, for a long time now, both parties have seeded some some wing of their nomination process to celebrity. And some of that has to do with fundraising. Some of that has to do with telegeneity, if that's a word, and all the others. It is. But the difference is that on the Democratic side, even in a universe in where politics is now the realm of celebrity, on the Democratic side, we tend to nominate qualified and competent people. There's no evidence that that is the case on the Republican side from everything for president with Donald Trump. If you notice, that diatribe about werewolves and vampires was very similar to his comparison at the White House uh, Correspondents' Dinner of Donald Trump making decisions between who to fire, you know, Ed Begley Jr. or Lil John, right? It's the same <laughs> stuff because these are a deeply unqualified universe of people that came as a residual effect of the Donald Trump years. But it is more indicative of the idea that the Republican Party would rather give the reins of America of the American experiment to these unqualified, deeply flawed characters rather than let everyone play equally. And I don't want to get too philosophical. I'm a political practitioner, but there's a philosophy that guides what we do in reaching out to these voters and in organizing votes. And the philosophical right here is that one half of the American experiment would rather burn it down than live in a universe where you and I and Barack Obama get to participate freely in our multicultural democracy. Yeah. And that's really the moment that we're going to have to think about far beyond Tuesday, when, by the way, Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock is going to win. And we can all breathe easy about the idea of not having to rely on cinema or mansion in a 51 true majority Senate. When you respect your voters, yes. you take them seriously, you, you give them Barack Obama, 
And when you don't, on the other side, you give them Dr. Oz and Donald Trump That's and right. you give them entertainment That's right. because you know that they're not going to expect policy from you anyway. And Ted Cruz, and, and you Ted know, Cruz. Who, who, is, who is that with a Harvard and degree? And Rand Paul. And Rand Paul, who is that with a doctorate? A doctorate that he gave himself. Himself. Right? Yeah, Hello. So. Okay. Well, Stuart <laughs> Stevens, we lost Stuart Stevens' audio. So thank you, Stuart Stevens. We appreciate you, my friend. Don Calloway, thank you very much, my friend. Appreciate you both. All right. Coming up next, so much losing, so much losing. Trump loses again in court, this time involving the special master he wanted as he tries to worm and weasel his way out of those stolen documents uh, and that stolen documents predicament. Uh, stay with us. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We have breaking news tonight in the investigation into Donald Trump's mishandling of classified documents. A panel of three 11th Circuit, Circuit Court Judges Appeal, Court of Appeals judges, two of whom are Trump appointees, have ruled in favor of the Justice Department, overturning Judge Eileen Cannon's order appointing a special master to vet those documents seized by the FBI from Mar-a-Lago in August. The opinion from the court says, in part, the law is clear. We cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigations after the execution of the warrant, nor can we write a rule that allows only former presidents to do so. Either approach would be a radical reordering of our case law, limiting the federal court's involvement in criminal investigations, and both would violate bedrock separation of powers limitations. Joining me now is Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. And Joyce, thank you very much. Um, really appreciate you being here. So I do have the ruling here, but I also have something even more valuable, which is your post about the ruling. And so I've been reading it really as quickly as I can. You make a couple of really good points that I would love you to explain a little bit further. One of them is the question of whether Judge Cannon even had standing to take the case. And uh, your, your explanation is that the 11th Circuit Court said she did not. Can you explain? Yeah, this is really the basis for this ruling, Joy. Federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. They can only hear cases that fall within their purview. And the 11th Circuit says very clearly, Judge Cannon did not have jurisdiction to hear this case. And there's a very simple reason for it. 
What happened in this situation was the government executed a search warrant during a criminal investigation. The government does that in a lot of cases, and people who are under investigation can't suddenly interfere and try to kneecap the criminal investigation. But that's what Trump did, and Judge Cannon said he could do this because this was an extraordinary case where she had equitable jurisdiction. And the problem with that ruling it is the real point of the 11th Circuit's opinion today. They say, no, you didn't have equitable jurisdiction because Donald Trump never suggested that the government violated his rights, that there was some callous disregard for his constitutional rights that meant you could take this exceptional step of interfering with a criminal investigation. And on that basis, the 11th Circuit vacated her order and threw the case out of court. And so what does that mean in practical terms? Does that mean Judge Deary goes back to Brooklyn or wherever he was? And can Trump appeal this again and go back to the Supreme Court and start this whole cycle over again? So those are exactly the right questions to ask. Yes, Judge Deary goes back to Brooklyn, or I suppose he just gives back the documents and stops reviewing them. The 11th Circuit says Trump's not entitled to any of that. You know, as far as appeals, Trump has a couple of options. A litigant can always ask a panel of the 11th Circuit to reconsider their opinion. He could do that. It's absolutely pointless in this case. This is a unanimous opinion from the panel. It's what's called a per curiam opinion. Uh, all three of the judges jointly issue it, and it is a very strong opinion. One supposes Trump could ask the full 11th Circuit to reconsider the case. That, too, is unlikely to be availing. The chief judge, Bill Pryor, is one of the three judges on this panel. His views will carry great weight. And the opinion is very strong. I, the interesting thing here, Joy, is ultimately this has nothing to do with politics. It's precisely what the 11th Circuit says it is. It's about having a rule of law that applies to everyone equally, no matter how rich they are, who they are, or even if they're a former president. So Trump can even try to appeal this to the Supreme Court. I just don't think it's going to do him any good at all. So far, it seems like his appeals have been about delay, right? He shopped around for a judge who would come up with this novel theory of law that because he's a former president, he should get this special treatment that no other American would get. Is it possible for him to do more of this shopping? Or as you said, has he kind of reached the end of the line here? Because as you said, if his theory is right, any president could break the law just because they were president and they would get all of this special treatment and they would be above the law. And that's exactly what Trump always asks for. You're right, he plays the delay game. He could try to do that here, but the 11th Circuit has vacated Judge Cannon's order. That means that the Justice Department, I, I suppose now the special counsel, can go full steam ahead. And Trump would have to convince a court to stay that in order for the delay involved in an appeal to mean anything for him. He can appeal, but the Justice Department is on the job. They're actually back to work, and that is bad news for Donald. Uh, Joyce Vance, always love it. You give such great explanations. I feel, again, I always feel like I'm taking a little law, law class with you, so thank you. Uh, appreciate you. And uh, coming up next, President Biden is hosting his first state dinner with French President Emmanuel Macron, renewing their alliance and uniting in their support for Ukraine. More on their partnership and what it means for the war and the ongoing fight against Russian aggression. Up next. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. 
Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. France is America's oldest ally, dating back to the Revolutionary War, when the French king sent secret shipments of weapons, equipment, and uniforms to help crush British imperialists. Today, France no longer has a king, but their president is in Washington for an official state visit hosted by President Biden and the First Lady. Emmanuel Macron and his wife were officially welcomed this morning for the first official state visit of Biden's administration. We are moments away from the two presidents and the First Ladies making their way to the Black Tie State Dinner, where the United States tried to bolster, tried to say, tried to bolster its gastronomical bona fides by serving butter poached Maine lobster. Beyond the pomp and circumstance, the duo reaffirmed their unflinching support for Ukraine. Putin thinks that he can crush the will of all those oppose his imperial ambitions. But attacking uh, civilian infrastructures in Ukraine, choking off energy to Europe to drive up prices, exacerbating food through the food crisis, that's uh, hurting very vulnerable people, not just in Ukraine, but around the world. And he's not going to succeed. And what is at stake in Ukraine is not just very far from here, in a small country somewhere in Europe, but it's about our our values. If we consider that we can abandon the country and abandon the full respect of these principles, it means that there is no possible stability in this world. Weirdly, House Republicans have chosen this moment to signal to Russia that they would be willing to put a stop to U.S. aid to Ukraine, just as Russia continues to unleash an unrelenting barrage of bombs on Ukraine and its energy infrastructure in the dead of winter. Joining me now is Bobby Ghosh, editor and foreign policy columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. And I I do want to start on the, you know, it it is sort of interesting to watch um, President Biden and President Macron together, because we had sort of come to rely on kind of the the group of four, right, the sort of four amigos um, with the British prime minister, uh, obviously Angela Merkel, um, and, you know, um, these two, Macron and Biden. It's now these two who in many ways do feel like they're steering the kind of Europe wing of the free world. What do you make of their partnership? Well, it's it contrast this with when Macron came to uh, the U.S. for his previous state visit under Donald Trump, when the two traditional allies could not have been farther apart. Uh, there was a certain amount of bonhomie and, and, and fist sort of handshaking. And you remember Trump brushed off what he claimed to be was, uh, um, never mind, <laughs> from, uh, 
from Macron's uh, uh, jacket. But then Macron went to Congress, spoke to the joint houses, and disagreed with almost everything in the Trump foreign policy. This is a very different tone now between two people who they're nearly, I mean, Macron is nearly half of Biden's age, but yeah. they get along. Um, they, there's clearly genuine chemistry between them. You can't hide that. Um, and they are much more in agreement on important issues around the world, none more important than Ukraine. Now, the Republicans may have different ideas about what they want to do about Ukraine, but these two leaders who are, as you point out, the sort of two most important leaders right now in the Western world uh, are of one mind about what to do on Ukraine. And that will bring a lot of comfort to those people right now in the dark, in Kyiv, in other towns all over Ukraine. And it will give a moment's pause, at least, to Vladimir Putin and others in Moscow. Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that, you know, the... The former quad, you know, one of the members of it seems to be a mess. I mean, Britain can't decide whether it's going to have arguments over whether it thinks it's, you know, black Brits are really British or, you know, they're sending the, the young royals around to get, you know, brickbats thrown at them for behaving like, you know, ancient royals or, you know, behaving in the old sort of way that the firm did. And so it does feel like it is falling on France and um, and on the United States. But Macron has played good cop to Russia, whereas Biden has played bad cop. Just isolating yeah. his tack toward Russia, he seems to be trying to be the diplomat with them. That doesn't seem to work with them. They don't seem to understand that language. And, and I think he finally is beginning to get that because for a very long time, he tried to play that role of mediator earlier in the year the, towards the beginning of the war. And certainly through the summer, he was encouraging Ukraine to negotiate with Russia, to come to terms with Putin. Uh, the implication being you should be prepared to give up some territory in order to end the war. Well, now his tone has changed. I think he's realized with, from his many, many conversations with Putin that Putin's not really someone you can negotiate with. So now Macron is saying what Biden is saying, which is that it's up to the Ukrainians to decide whether they want to negotiate and what those terms will be. Our job as the West collectively is to, to make sure Ukraine continues to be able to hold off the Russian invasion, to be able to make advances uh, in reclaiming its territory and making sure that Russia is constantly on the back foot. Yeah. And so if there are someday negotiations, then Ukraine should come to those negotiations in a position of strength. Indeed. And we are watching the pomp and ceremony uh, as the Bidens and the Macrons, you saw them just emerge down uh, the stairs, uh, pretty resplendent outfits by Jill Biden uh, and Mrs. Macron. Uh, Mrs. Macron's outfit is particularly stunning. I have to make some sartorial comments here because I just feel like I have to do it because they do look really wonderful. Um, does this mean as much as it used to, in your view, Bobby Ghosh? Because, you know, America and Americans tend to put a lot of stock in this kind of ceremony in this kind of tradition. Um, in the post-Trump era, where he kind of broke the idea of tradition and broke the idea of sort of splendor and broke the idea of the presidency, what do you make of Biden's attempt to restore it? I think it's very important to restore it precisely for those reasons, to reclaim the importance of these events. Yes, there's a stage management about it. It's all very choreographed. But so what? Big state events are meant to be choreographed. We're meant to see those amazing images. And look how gorgeous the White House looks with all those Christmas decorations. It's important. Look, 
particularly not just because of what happened during the Trump years, but also, remember, we had two years of COVID in which nobody visited the White House, uh, certainly no important international leaders. This is Biden's first big state banquet. Um, it's an important moment, and it's an important signal that it is being given to France, to the putative leader of Europe at the moment. So yeah, absolutely is important. And I think uh, the world should see these images, um, and the French should see these images. Yes, indeed. It, it, it definitely has a meaning, especially since France was the original ally uh, of the Americans uh, in trying to break free from Great Britain. Uh, Bobby Ghosh, uh, always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. And up next, Kanye, Elon, Trump, the tweet sent by House Republicans. Well, they took it down after 56 days, but why bother? I mean, that is the embodiment of their modern Republican Party, right? Stay with us. Well, it only took about 56 days, but the Republican Party finally deleted this tweet. Make no mistake, the official political arm of the not-so-grand old party told us that this was their platform. The thing they wanted you to focus on was Kanye, Elon, Trump, essentially announcing that these three embodied what modern Republicanism is now. And all three are melting down. Today, yay, the unwell person formerly known as Kanye West took it to basement level. I... I see, I, I see good things about Hitler also. I like Hitler. Y'all really didn't see this coming. I mean, mind you, that riveting discussion was on the far-right radio show Infowars with another oddball. Republicans turned into a central part of the Republican Party. Do not forget, Alex Jones was at the Capitol Ellipse giving rousing speeches for President Donald Trump leading up to and on January 6th. Then there's Trump himself, who has and will have no apologies for palling around with the Bowen Luke Duke of anti-Semitism and white supremacy at Mar-a-Lago, which leaves Elon Musk, who is with seemingly single-minded determination, returning Twitter to its primordial state as a hellscape of misinformation, disinformation, and hate speech, to the point that half of the platform's top advertisers have already jumped ship. Joining me now is Ben Collins, NBC News senior reporter, and Tara Dowdell, business and marketing consultant and president and CEO of the Tara Dowdell Group. Thank you both for being here. And Ben, I'm old enough to remember what Pepe the Frog was. I mean, I used to be on Twitter during that era, and it was an awful era. It was the Nazi era on Twitter. That is back, and he's tweeting it himself um, to the point, and the, the disinformation is so bad that the EU is considering whether it needs to ban Twitter inside of the European Union. Um, and, you know, liberal voices are, are stating that they're actually getting banned off of Twitter because alt-right, basically far-right racist factors are saying, take these liberals off. And Elon's doing it. What in the hell is going on over there? Well, you know, uh, Elon is listening to people on the alt-right, guys like Ian Miles Chong and Andy No, sort of taking direction from them. Uh, these are people from the old meme wars, Joy. They're the people you were just talking about from the 2015-2016 Pepe the Frog era meme wars who have uh, accrued a lot of power recently since Twitter uh, has changed hands. And they have taken off, you know, uh, those accounts you were just talking about, Chad Loader uh, and Vishal Singh, who have been uh, documenting uh, Proud Boys and militia groups on Twitter for years. Uh, they were the first to go over the week. And, you know, early this morning, a couple other uh, Twitter accounts from the left were taken down and then reinstated later in the day. Uh, but the idea that this is some sort of a free speech platform, uh, it appears to only be that way, really, for white supremacists. 
You know, it's it's ironic, Tara, that um, when Donald Trump decided to listen to the meme kids and decided to take his campaign to that gutter, he lost Macy's. He lost major deals. It actually cost him his business reputation. Elon Musk seems determined to repeat all of those mistakes because this is not helping him make money with this platform. Joy, you're absolutely right. And actually, his net worth is down nearly 40 percent. Now, look, he's a super rich man, so that's not a big hit for him. But it is down 40 percent because he's scaring people and he's rightfully scaring people. People should be afraid. He's acting like a right wing troll. And I can tell you as a marketing professional that advertisers don't want to invest their money in companies that are toxic. They don't want to invest their money in companies that are being run by right wing trolls. And so that's why they're making these decisions. And it is a hot topic for PR professionals and marketing professionals like myself, because our clients are coming to us and saying, we don't think we should be advertising on these platforms, on, on this platform. We don't think we should be advertising on Twitter. And, and I tell them, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be investing your money with a brand that's become a, a toxic brand. And so I think that's the big issue for Elon Musk, but he seems to be taking the tack that he's just going to dig in deeper despite the loss of advertisers. He thought he was going to bully them and that's not working. And so he's digging in deeper with his rhetoric, but at the same time, he's now offering these huge incentives to try to get people to stay, which means he is, despite digging in deeper, feeling the pressure. You know, what's interesting, Ben, you know, during this sort of loco thing that was going on with Ye and, you know, the the whatever, the kid uh, Fuentes, one of the things he said is, oh, you know what, these guys, this guy Fuentes is going to be tweeting from my account. Like, it, it's sort of like they're all holding hands and jumping off the cliff together. They're all losing their brand identities. Kanye has destroyed his own brand identity. Elon Musk is destroying his. Trump has destroyed it. They're doing it together. And, and I'm wondering if, if, if there is a sense out there that, they, that there is some plan for this. Because where this ends is not with Trump being president again or Kanye West selling sneakers again. It ends with all of them being mutually destroyed. Yeah, Joy, I think that um, we have to stop thinking that there is some great uh, master plan here that started years Very ago true. and start thinking that there is such thing as elite radicalization, that the same sort of radicalization that targets teenagers and incels on the internet is targeting Elon Musk and Kanye West. You know, Kanye West was on InfoWars today talking about like ranting against pornography and ranting against his ex in the same breath saying that Kim Kardashian basically started all of this. Uh, you know, Elon Musk, this whole thing started right shortly after his uh, divorce from Primes. Uh, and then a whole bunch of things happened from there. Uh, and, you know, in the radicalization community, they call this exogenous shock. They say that this is when a, you know, there is this external event that comes into people's lives that rattles them so much that they have to go back and reconsider everything. And they start blaming things instead of themselves. They start blaming, you know, ethnic groups. They start blaming communities that they're not comfortable with, change in society in general. And the idea that for some reason, if you're the richest man in the world, or if you were a very good rapper once, you are somehow immune to this, I think that's kind of bananas. I think that we have to start looking at this as if, as these are people, and they are getting radicalized in the same way that the people who storm the Capitol or you know, the same way that incels get, uh, get radicalized uh, day after day on the internet. 
You know, it's interesting that you put it that way. And Tara, I feel like that is, Trump, it, it fits in that as well. That you have these men who don't have consequences in their lives because they're rich. And they're, they were able to get away with being bankrupt four, five, six times. They get away with it. They get a second chance, a third chance, eighth chance by the banks. And so after a while, and they're, and they're kind of worshipped, our society has decided that these men are inherently geniuses because they're rich. And these, all of them, Peter Thiel, you can go through all of them. These are all radicalized rich men with no consequences that they understand. And suddenly the chickens are coming home to roost. Exactly. Our society, actually, we we award or reward psychopaths. We do it all the time. The majority, the majority of psychopaths are concentrated in certain fields. And CEO is one of those fields where they are disproportionately represented. And I think that's something that's a, a sickness in American culture. And, and, and so I think that's what we're seeing here with Elon Musk with this behavior. I think, yes, he does believe this. And I think it is quite possible he's been radicalized. Also, his trans child has also disowned him. So there's been a series of triggering events in his life. And Kanye has long suffered from mental illness, which, again, people swept under the rug because the other thing we have to we do, Joy, that you reference is we have a stand culture. Right. When we are invested in a CEO, when we're invested in a rapper, when we're invested in an entertainer, people will go hard for them and they'll go right off the ship with them. And yep. so but then there becomes a tipping point. And I think all three of them have now hit that tipping point. Welcome to the tipping point, all of y'all. Um, ben Collins, Tara Dowdell, thank you both very much. We'll be right back. All right, guys, before we go, I wanted to let you know that we are taking the readout back out on the road again next week. We're going to be live in Atlanta, Georgia, Monday night. That is the eve of the Georgia runoff, the last day of Georgia runoff voting, I believe, is tomorrow. So everybody vote, please. And we'll have more details to come. Uh, hope to see you guys out there, including you, Herschel. We'd love to see you. I'm coming down, so I'm going to be local. I mean, you might be in Texas because I know that's where you really live. But maybe be in Georgia just for that one time. That is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.